Okay, people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. Oh, my God! Would you please tell him that instead of presents this year, I just want my family back. Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? It must be magic. I must find some way to keep Christmas from coming. Nobody's walking out on this fun, old-fashioned family Christmas. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? True, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. The best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. Welcome back to another bonus episode of Tis a Podcast, the podcast determined to keep the Christmas spirit alive all year, every year. And thanks again for joining us for another installment of another Christmas story. This week's chapter, chapter 11, will be read to you by Claude Belangi, a longtime listener of the show and a soon-to-be Christmas podcast host in his own right. I don't have any housekeeping to go over with y'all this week, so I will just hand it over to Claude. Enjoy, y'all! Hey, how's it going, everyone? My name is Claude Belanger, and today I'm going to be reading Chapter 11, We Three Kings, from Anthony Caruso's wonderful book. December 24th, 8 a.m. Eastern. Emily Williams sat in an enormous cushioned throne-like chair at the head of a long table in a conference room aboard Air Force One. They were about halfway to John F. Kennedy International Airport, and if they managed to actually land on time, they'd have to wait only about 20 minutes before the diplomatic delegations from Canada and England arrived. The president hadn't been able to stomach dinner the night before, and had barely eaten anything that morning. She was far too nervous about the strike she was going to launch against Russia later that evening and her mind kept turning over every possible thing that could go wrong as a result of them. Nevertheless, she still had over half a day to go until she enacted her plan, and in the meantime, she had to keep up appearance of playing the ever-courteous diplomatic holiday tour guide to her two foreign contemporaries in the most famous city on earth for the benefit of the public and the press. She was dressed for the part at any rate, having donned black pants and a white blouse, over which she wore a red blazer to which a golden brooch in the shape of a holly was pinned. Later, when she got bundled up to disembark the plan, she would be donning a long black coat and wrapping a green scarf around her neck. She would look as Christmassy as she possibly could, which she hoped would play well for a public that was uncomfortable about the fact that she occasionally said, Happy Holidays! Emily knew she wasn't the only one aboard Air Force One at that moment who was stressing about the day ahead. Her secret service detail was extremely twitchy about the fact that she'd be walking around in the open in one of the busiest cities on the planet, in the middle of a blizzard no less. She knew that two agents who shadowed her her most closely, Clint Keller and Melissa Johnson, who currently stood alert on either side of the door leading into the plane's conference room, were particularly worried about not only her safety, but also the safety of her visiting dignitaries, as they had expressed as much to her the night before in private. Despite her constant reassurances to them, she knew she had not assuaged either of their fears. Her husband Bobby, meanwhile, was stressing about having to make small talk the entire day with the spouses of the two Prime Ministers, René Dubois and Jasper Richardson. He was currently sitting to the left of her at the conference room table, 
to the right of Gary Matthews, who was snoozing as loudly as he dozed with his head thrown back and his mouth wide open. His eyebrows contracted studiously as he stared down at a large blue binder in front of him, memorizing the information about his international equals. Emily couldn't help but smile to herself as she eyed her husband, noticing the way his tongue stuck out from the corner of his mouth. The harder he concentrated, his narrowed brown eyes darting back and forth behind glasses. Like herself, he was in his early 70s, but you'd think he was at least a decade younger. He looked good for his age and was incredibly active for someone that old, tall and physically fit, with thinning gray hair and almost a line-free face. Emily had met her husband almost 40 years prior and had been in love with him from day one. It still amazed her to think that, after all these years, they were making history as the first women president and the first gentleman of the United States. Sitting across from Bobby, directly to the right of the president, was Anna Dreyfus. She was leaning across the table and pointing at certain lines of text in the binder that Bobby was staring at, drawing his attention to particular phrases and expounding upon certain details he was committing to memory. Emily stared at the 45-year-old woman, still so young and full of life. Her short red hair was done up in an elegant twist atop her head, and the form-fitting red dress she wore accentuated her athletic physique. Her green eyes were open wide and curious as she talked animatedly with her hands, which bore no wedding band, doing her best to ignore the day's newspaper spread out on the table in front of her. Images of Anna were staring up at the woman herself from the covers of most of them, the headlines questioning the new chief of staff's performance and her press briefing the day before, at which she seemed to give away more about the New York trip than the administration wanted. Emily was aware that her newest employee was bothered by the coverage and wished that the press would have gone easier on her. At the same time, however, she knew what the press was like. It was probably better for Anna to get accustomed to the negative coverage sooner rather than later. The president was still staring at her chief of staff when Anna noticed her gaze out of the corner of her eye. Is everything okay, Madam President? She asked, turning her face to her boss. Couldn't be better, Emily smiled. I'm just listening. Then turning to her husband, she stated, Don't stress too much. It's not like it's your first time meeting them. I know, I know, Bobby insisted wearily. I'm just brushing up on the tiny details, that's all. He held out his hand for his wife to take, which Emily did with a reassure, reassuring squeeze. The gesture allowed the dim light from above to catch the gold chain that was wrapped around the president's wrist, causing it to sparkle brightly and catch Anna's attention for the first time. That's a nice watch, the chief of staff noted. Huh? Emily glanced down at the timepiece around her wrist before smiling wide. Oh, thank you. I've never seen you wear that before. I'm sure pictures exist of me wearing it, Emily replied. There have to be at least four out there, Bobby chimed in. The day you announced your candidacy, the day you accepted the Democratic nomination, election night, and inauguration day. Oh, more than that. Emily laughed as she waved her hand through the air nonchalantly. I'll have worn this every time I've lobbied for a specific piece of legislation, signed a new law, or was meeting with the leader of another country. So, it's a special occasion watch? Anna asked. Let's just say I wear it for good luck, Emily explained, staring down at the small watch face kept firmly in place by simple yet elegant golden chain. Anna smirked. I never took you to be so superstitious, Madam President. Normally I'm not. Emily admitted, playfully hitting her husband as he laughed. But this watch, it means a lot to me, she explained. This was my aunt's, my mom's sister's, favorite possession. 
She herself got it as a young woman in Germany as she was touring Europe. When she was in Rome, she was lucky enough to attend a mass at the Vatican given by Pope Benedict, and it was even luckier to have him bless it for her afterwards. She gave it to me when I was accepted into college. I was the first woman in my family ever to get accepted or go to, you see? Ever since it was bestowed upon me, I've worn it every time I needed luck and guidance. So I figured if there was ever a day I had needed luck, it's today, with us possibly being on the verge of World War III and all. Her face fell for a moment before she added with a smirk. The only bad thing about it is I can't wear my Fitbit with it, so I won't be able to track my steps. Well, you couldn't have picked a worse day not to wear that. Think of how much walking we'll be doing today, Anna winked. Emily let out a laugh. Does it even count if I'm not tracking steps? Before Anna could come up with a joking reply, there was a knock on the conference room door. A young baby-faced secret service agent with bright blonde hair poked his head inside. Madam President? Hello? He raised a hand in acknowledgement as the president, the first gentleman, and the chief of staff all turned to face him. Clearing his throat, he continued. The pilot wanted me to let you know they were going to be touching down in about 10 minutes and that you should start preparing for landing. Emily nodded. Thank you, Agent. Wells, ma'am. The young man puffed his chest out proudly. Agent David Wells. You must be new, the president noted. The young Secret Service agent nodded. I just was leaving. Clint Keller, the enormous, good-looking African-American Secret Service agent who personally shadowed Emily everywhere she went, growled as he stepped into the room. At the sound of the voice, Wells tensed up and swallowed hard as beads of sweat began to sprout upon his forehead. Behind them, Agent Melissa Johnson turned from where she stood, guard on the left of the conference room door, to peer into the room curiously. S sorry ma'am. Wells choked back before spinning on his heel and hurrying so fast from the room he was practically running. Sorry about that, Madam President. Clint intoned to the woman he protected. The boy is new. He joined the team a few weeks ago. You scared the poor thing, Emily pointed out, concerned. He needs to learn proper protocol before he gets too comfortable in the role, Clint interpreted in a voice that was gentle yet firm. Before the president could argue, he repeated, Ten minutes until landing and swept from the room in the blink of an eye, closing the door quietly behind him. With a weary sigh, Emily pushed herself to her feet and paced over to one of the windows to stare down the island of Manhattan. No matter how many times she visited New York City, she never tired of looking down at it from above. It was an architectural marvel. When she noticed all of the snow flying through the air, she smirked to herself and turned back to face Anna and Bobby. Looks like New York is definitely in for a white Christmas. Bobby craned his neck to glance out of the window behind him. I doubt we're going to get out of here tonight. Well, luckily, we have a hotel booked, Emily glanced at Anna. Can you get in touch with the National Weather Service and get the latest on the storm? Of course, Madam President, Anna nodded, taking out her phone and scrolling through her contacts to find the number in question. I am so sorry, by the way, Emily continued, causing her chief of staff to look up curiously. For whatever Christmas plans you had to cancel by taking this job so close to the holiday she added by taking Anna by surprise. Normally, I'm a big proponent of letting my staff go home to their families on the 25th, but with the pushback we're going to get in the coming days in the response to tonight's attacks... It's fine, Madam President, Anna interrupted with a laugh. I was just going to stay at home in Connecticut and spend the day at my parents' house. I don't mind missing it, though. My family's not big on Christmas, and I'm not the biggest fan of this entire time of year anyway. Oh, no? 
Emily raised an eyebrow before shrugging as she turned to her husband. Well, we'll at least have three more Christmases together to change that. Bobby laughed as Anna blinked, taken aback by the statement. Fifteen minutes later, Emily Williamson was in the presidential suite at the front of Air Force One, shrugging on her long black coat when there was a loud knock at the door. Come in, come in, she called as she began to do up the buttons. The door swung inward to reveal Anna, who had donned a winter coat of her own. I just got off the phone with the National Weather Service. Chances are good that Elsa is going to be stranding us here tonight. I figured, Emily sighed as she motioned to the plane's window. It's really starting to come down out there. Have you talked to... I already talked to FEMA and Homeland Security, Anne interrupted. They're on standby to aid the Northeast as needed. I also spoke to Agent Rickles, head of the Secret Service. Emily politely smiled as she nodded, aware of who he was. He's concerned about the safety of you and your guests, seeing how Elsa is going to have us in her crosshairs. He worries too much. Emily pushed her glasses up the bridge of her nose. So do you, she added, noticing Anna's unsure expression. We'll be fine, I promise you. Today will go smoothly. She held up her wrist. I'm wearing my lucky watch, remember? Anna laughed despite herself as Gary, having finally woke up, poked his head into the room. Madam President, the press has disembarked the plane. They're setting up the cameras in the front of the podium. The Secret Service is set up for you at the foot of the stairs on the tarmac, from which you and your guests can say a few words. I can hardly wait, Emily sarcastically noted. Remember, Anna began gently, the world will be watching your remarks. Try to be as enthusiastic, passionate, and fun-loving as you were as a senator on the campaign trail. In other words, be myself. I think I can handle that, Emily winked. I just hope the press can. Also, Gary continued, as though he hadn't been interrupted, Mayor DeBellis and the Commissioner Burke, along with a few of the NYPD precinct commanding officers, are waiting on the tarmac to greet you as well. He took a step into the room as he stroked his handlebar mustache. And I just received word that Prime Minister Dubois landed about 20 minutes ago and Prime Minister Richardson's plane just touched down. They're early, Emily glanced at her watch, surprised. I guess they left earlier than scheduled so they could make it before the snow got bad, Gary shrugged. Our shuttle is bringing them over now. Well, this should be fun. Emily clapped her hands and rubbed them together excitedly. Shall we get this going? And without a word, she pushed past her underlings as they exchanged a look and walked out of the suite towards the president's entrance to the plane where her husband was waiting by the open door. Before stepping into the open doorway and peering outside, however, Emily came to a stop and turned her face to her chief of staff and press secretary once more. Have either of you heard from Hughes or Wilson? They're at the plaza with their foreign equals, Anna assured her. I talked to them briefly before we left Washington. The Secret Service has acquired floor 13, 14, and 15 for your convenience. Security will be on the 13 and 15 while you and the Prime Ministers, while you, the Prime Ministers, and core members of your staff will be on 14. Secretary Wilson said they've already secured a connection for you to use when you call Russia later. Excellent, Emily replied with a smile that didn't quite reach her eyes. Then, after taking a deep breath, she stepped into the doorway of the plane and waved at three cameras, and the crowd of the NYPD officers and Secret Service agents gathered below, a wide smile plastered on her face. As she descended the stairs that had been rolled up to the plane, Emily narrowed her eyes against the falling snow 
to peer down at the mayor and the police commissioner of New York City, where they waited for her at the foot of the steps bordered on either side by Clint and Melissa. Stepping off the final step onto the tarmac, Emily faced the tall, tanned mayor, taking note of his square jawline and cropped gray hair. Mayor DeBellis! She stuck out her hand for the man to grip firmly. How wonderful to see you again! We're honored to have you visiting, Madam President, the mayor replied in a deep voice as he relinquished his grip of the woman's fingers. Though as I've stressed repeatedly for your staff over the phone the past few days, I wish you had chosen a better time to visit. With winter storm Elsa bearing down on us, we... We'll get to experience a true New York white Christmas, Emily interrupted poignantly, the smile on her face becoming more strained. I'm looking forward to it. Though the mayor looked like he wanted to argue with the woman, he clearly knew better than to attempt to. Instead, he cleared his throat and indicated the six and a half feet tall, extremely muscular, balding with a mustache, 50-year-old police commissioner beside him. This is New York City's police commissioner, Thomas Burke. Madam President? The huge man nodded in acknowledgement of her. It's a pleasure. The pleasure is all mine, Emily insisted, grasping one of his enormous hands. And thank you and your officers for working with the Secret Service to coordinate security details today to ensure my safety. She glanced at the lineup of precinct commanders standing off to the side, watching as she spoke to their commissioner. I know a lot of you had to cancel their holiday plans at the last minute in order to accommodate my visit, and I just want you to know how much I appreciate it. It's all a part of the job, Burke replied politely before indicating the precinct commanders. Allow me to introduce to you a few of the men and women we have worked tirelessly the past few days to help plan your visit. That would be delightful, Emily exclaimed, allowing Commissioner Burke to guide her along the lineup of commanding officers in charge of the various Manhattan precincts, introducing each of them individually, at which point Emily politely thanked them for their service. They all blended together until the president came to the end of the line, and Thomas Burke introduced her to a pretty, middle-aged, red-headed woman. This is Commanding Officer Lindsay Pendleton, Burke explained. She's in charge of the Midtown North Precinct, which is the area you'll be spending your day in. She'll be accompanying me as a part of your personal detail. It's an honor, Madam President. Pendleton shook her hand vigorously, looking starstruck. The honor is all mine, Emily replied kindly. I was so thrilled when you won, Pendleton continued. I enthusiastically voted for you and... I'm glad to hear it, Emily interrupted politely, forcing another strained smile onto her face. She always got uncomfortable when somebody would choose to lavish her with praise. And trust me, I appreciate it just as much as I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to protect me today. Then sensing her chance to get out of the conversation, the president took a few large steps backwards to address the lineup as a whole. In addition to the many lower level NYPD officers she hadn't met personally that stood ranged behind them. I appreciate all of you and your sacrifices you make for the people of your city and this country on a daily basis Words cannot express how thankful I truly am. Then, turning to face the commissioner, she kindly said, If you'll excuse me for a few moments, I want to go and say a few words to the traveling press before the foreigners join us. 
she strode confidently over to where the three reporters that had been allowed to accompany her on the day's trip were standing, microphones in hand beside their cameramen who were pointing their cameras at her, smiling confidently. Emily did her best not to narrow her eyes as she surveyed the reporters in question through the falling snow. Immediately, she recognized CNN anchor Leo Alvarez standing beside Susan Montrose from the CBC. Standing to their right was an extremely overweight, balding gentleman with huge bags underneath his eyes, the BBC's Graham Potter. Behind them, the presidential limousine, The Beast, was idling, along with the rest of the presidential motorcade that consisted of a fleet of black SUVs and NYPD patrol cars, among which were Secret Service agents and members of city's police force were standing at attention, their eyes darting back and forth as they tried to spot any potential trouble. Shivering as she joined them, Emily remarked to the reporters, It's freezing. It's only supposed to get colder as the day goes on, Madam President, Leo laughed as Emily shook his hand. Well, I hope you're prepared for it, Emily smiled as she moved to shake Susan's hand. Because we're going to be outside most of the day, she moved to shake Graham's hand. But the cold never bothered me anyway, did it? She laughed at a clever joke she managed to come up with on the spot. No, ma'am, the British reporter replied in his thick London accent, the frozen joke going completely over his head. Raising a hand in acknowledgement of the cameras of the three world news networks, Emily informed the journalists, I'm just waiting for Prime Minister Dubois and Prime Minister Richardson to get shuttled over and then I'll speak briefly before we get on our way. Sound good? I actually think this is them now, Madam President. Anna, who was standing about 10 feet behind Emily, nodded her head at the two large shuttles that were driving toward them. Excellent. If you'll excuse me, Emily winked at the three news reporters and strode purposely across the tarmac with Anna, Gary, and Bobby as a handful of Secret Service members hurried to keep up with them. Sparing a glance over her shoulder, she was inwardly delighted to see the cameraman and reporter struggling to move fast as they could spin their equipment around in time to capture the moment that she greeted the foreign delegations. God, I hate the press, she intimated to her chief of staff without moving her lips. Who doesn't, Anna replied, as beside her Gary nodded. They're an essential component to our democracy, though. The two airport shuttles came to a stop in front of Emily and her staff, allowing Canada's Prime Minister, Nathan Dubois, to disembark one, along with his wife, Renee and his staff and England's Prime Minister, Miranda Richardson, to step off of the other, trailed by her husband, Jasper, and her staff. Aware that she was being broadcast live across the globe, Emily stepped forward to greet the leader of America's neighbor to the North first. Prime Minister Dubois, it's so great to see you. Netan, please, Madame President. The good-looking, extremely young and fit Canadian leader took Emily's hand in both of his own before leaning in and giving her a kiss on each of her cheeks, which set her heart aflutter. Out of the corner of her eye, Emily noticed her chief of staff's own eyes light up with hunger as she drank in an attractive man's appearance, darting between his hazel eyes and full head of flyaway black hair. Please call me Emily. The president smiled before turning to the man's attractive wife. How are you, Renee? I'm fine. Madame Emily? Renee smiled, brushing snow from her dirty blonde hair before gesturing around the airport. Excited to get a glimpse of New York at Christmas time. It's just like the movies, Emily assured her as she pushed her glasses up to the bridge of her nose before greeting Nathan's chief of staff, Michael, and press secretary Elaine, and waving in acknowledgement at the horde of the Canadian security intelligence. 
agents that were continuing to stream off of the shuttle behind them, then leaving the Canadian delegation to exchange pleasantries with her husband and her own staff. Emily turned the attention to the delegation from the United Kingdom, emerging from the second shuttle. Ah, Prime Minister Richardson! Emily shook the woman's hand firmly. So glad you can make it! Thank you for inviting me, Madam President. The woman smiled, making her lined face appear even more wrinkled as she stared down her long pointed nose at the president through narrowed brown eyes her short gray hair contrasted marvelous marvelously with her green blazer and matching skirt it was a long journey but how on earth could i pass up the opportunity to experience christmas within the borders of our greatest ally yes well emily trying to maintain her strained smile quickly diverted her gaze to the woman's husband how are you this morning jasper she asked kindly tired the old stooped man replied gruffly as he blinked rapidly. I can't sleep when I'm flying. Well, I'm sure you'll sleep well tonight. Emily turned her attention to Miranda once more. Chances are Elsa's going to keep us grounded overnight. Miranda let out a weary sigh as Jasper groaned in annoyance. Wonderful. Still attempting with all of her might to keep her smile from fading, Emily turned to greet Miranda's chief of staff, Georgina, and press secretary Donovan before waving a hand at the M15 agents still pouring from the shuttle behind them. She then took a step backward to watch as her own delegation greeted the visitors from Great Britain before Dubois and Richardson greeted one another. As the Canadian and English visitors exchanged pleasantries, Emily sidled up beside Anna, who was still lustfully eyeing the Canadian leader, and asked out of the corner of her mouth, Did you manage to pick up Christmas gifts for me to give them? Anna nodded before replying, her lips barely moving. I figured that the three of you can exchange them later tonight at dinner. Excellent. Madam President, Gary began as he joined the two women. When Emily turned to face her press secretary, he jerked his head behind him at the camera, still set up in front of the podium at the foot of Air Force One. Perhaps you and the Prime Minister should say a few words before we get going. He looked skyward at the falling snow which seemed to be getting heavier by the minute and pulled his jacket closed tighter around him shivering the press is starting to get antsy glancing down at her watch emily nodded i suppose we should then calling over to her canadian and british counterparts she asked shall we she motioned an arm toward air force one and without waiting for a response turned back on them and strode purposely toward the plane smiling to herself and the hurried footsteps following closely behind her. Glancing up at the terminal windows of the airport above, she saw faces pressed against the glass, staring down at her. Eager onlookers interspersed between stern-looking Secret Service agents, and she raised a hand in acknowledgement of all of them. She took her place behind the podium and waited behind it for Dubois and Richardson to take their places on either side of her, which they did after greeting the mayor and police commissioner who also took their places on either side of the president, the former beside Prime Minister Dubois on the left, and the latter beside Prime Minister Richardson on the right. Emily stared at the three members of the press assembled before her, and the crowd that had assembled around and behind them. Security details from all three of their countries, NYPD officers, and other members of three staffs. The president immediately found Anna, who was standing beside the young Agent Wells. The woman mind smiling at her boss the moment their eyes met and doing just that emily took a deep breath looked directly into the three cameras and began to speak good morning 
On behalf of all Americans, I want to take this moment to welcome Prime Minister Dubois and Prime Minister Richardson to the United States. The special relationships that endure between our three countries are as strong as ever, and I am honored they've chosen to spend the most holy of days in the greatest city on earth. I'm very much looking forward to showing them how Americans, in particular New Yorkers, celebrate Christmas. I would also like to take a moment to thank Mayor DeBelise, Commissioner Burke, and the entire NYPD for being so accommodating to us today, and to the NYPD in particular for putting their lives at risk every single day to keep this magnificent city safe. Emily paused once again, this time to push her glasses up the bridge of her nose before continuing. New Yorkers have always shown an incredible and persistent spirit through the good times and the bad, and the close-knit community feel, feeling that this city of millions exhibits on a daily basis to the rest of the world continuously impresses both our allies and our enemies. I have no doubt that they will once again be impressed by the way that Manhattan comes through Winter Storm Elsa, which is bearing down on us today. I am incredibly proud to be here weathering the weather with the resilient people of this island. And I know that my intentional counterparts are as well. More scattered applause. This incredible city is an extension of the larger than life personalities that inhibit it. And this larger than life persona is reflected in a way in which Manhattan prepares to celebrate the day that Christ was born. No amount of snow could ever or will ever prevent that. If anything, this beautiful natural occurrence will only add to the magic that is so palpable throughout this most wonderful time of the year. As more applause broke out, Emily shivered as she stared around at the noticeably heavy snowfall, sensing that the reporters gathered in front of her were chomping at the bit to ask her questions. She decided to address the elephant in the room. I do once again want to stress that this is merely a social visit. It's a chance for me to show Prime Minister Dubois and Richardson the best of the American Christmas spirit. I will not be discussing any foreign relation issues. As the three reporters in front of her began to shout incomprehensible questions, Emily raised her voice authoritatively. I know that there are a lot of people watching at home who are worried about the state of Russian relations, and I'd like to take this moment to address you directly and reassure you that everything is under control. So please relax and don't worry. Let me do the worrying for you. Enjoy your holidays with your families, glancing over her shoulders at the Dubois and Richardson. She asked, is there anything that you two want to add? Miranda shook her head, her lips pursed, and Nathan quickly leaned forward to speak into the microphone. I would just like to quickly say that I'm looking forward to partaking in this city's customary Christmas tradition. I'm practically, I'm particularly interested in seeing what the Rockettes have to offer. Don't, don't tell my wife, he laughed as he found Renee in the crowd gathered before them and winked at the embarrassed woman. The moment the Prime Minister backed away, Emily tapped the podium pointedly. I think that's everything then. There will be plenty of time to take questions throughout the day, she added, raising her voice pointedly as Leo, Susan, and Graham began to shout over one another in an effort to question her. Thanks, everybody. I hope everybody watching has a very Merry Christmas. And to those who don't celebrate, a happy holiday season. Let's make the coming year a prosperous one, not only for America, but for the entire world as well. The president turned away from the podium to face Nathan and Miranda. Ready? Always ready? Nathan smiled wide as the three of them led their delegations to the waiting motorcade after bidding Mayor DeBelise, who wouldn't be accompanying them around the city, farewell. Inspiring words, as always, Emily. 
Miranda noted, sounding more annoyed than impressed. Emily allowed Nathan, Miranda, and their chiefs of staff to slide into the presidential limousine before climbing in herself after Anna, slamming the door shut behind her. She found herself sitting directly opposite Nathan, who was seated beside Miranda, flanked on her other side by Georgina. Meanwhile, Anna was sitting immediately beside Emily, squeezed between President and Nathan's chief of staff, Michael, locking eyes with Emily. Miranda asked, Are you sure that tonight's preemptive strike is the right move to make? Without hesitation, Emily replied, Yes. Nathan, who had been staring at her with bated breath, gave a tiny nod in response. Well, that's good enough for me, Miranda. Not for me. Miranda opened her purse, which she had slung over her shoulder, and looked down to dig around inside of it as she continued. You might have your political bases locked down, but I don't. If this goes south, if this goes south, well, I'll have bigger things to worry about than getting reelected, Emily interrupted coldly. Miranda glanced up, locked eyes with the president again, her hand still in her purse, as an ominous silence settled over the interior of the beast, and everyone else did their best to avoid one another's eyes. Finally, the English woman clicked her tongue in frustration as she looked down to begin digging in her purse again. Where is it? She mumbled to herself before demanding loudly of nobody in particular. Why aren't we moving? I assume that everyone else is still getting settled into their cars, Emily answered calmly. You know, Miranda, patience is a virtue. Miranda snorted in derision. Give me a break. She scowled as she finally pulled a bottle of her perfume from within her purse. Ah, here it is. Uncapping it, she doused a liberal amount of fragrance on herself, causing Emily and Anna to exchange a wary look. The president knew that her chief of staff was thinking the same thing as she was. The prime minister of England was not only insufferable, but apparently vain as well. As Nathan, Georgina, and Michael did their best to cover up the sounds of their choking, Miranda and Faze held a bottle out for Emily to take. Would you like a spray? I'm fine, thanks. Are you sure? No woman should walk around without perfume. Taking the not-so-veiled insult in stride, Emily smiled and she pushed up her glasses to the bridge of her nose. I'm fine, she repeated, her voice firmer this time. Thank you. Suit yourself. Miranda shrugged as she dropped the perfume back into her purse at the exact same moment. A police siren gave a loud wail from somewhere outside of the beast and the motorcade began to crawl forward slowly. Finally! Silently agreeing with the Prime Minister's sentiments, Emily turned to Anna. What's first on the agenda? Visiting Rockefeller Center Christmas tree, Anna answered. Wonderful! Miranda rolled her eyes. It's not like we have Christmas trees in England. Nathan and Emily exchanged a glance across the limo, and the president knew that the Canadian Prime Minister was thinking the same thing she was. It was going to be a long day. Thanks, Claude. Man, the voices that all of these readers are doing just get better and better each week. And I am so thankful to them for taking part in this story that is so near and dear to my heart. And I am so thankful to all of y'all listeners who tune in week in and week out to listen to each installment of this book. You know, it was a passion. I worked on it for a few years. It was a passion project to me. It means a lot to me. And, you know, I'll probably never actually get published or anything like that. So the fact that I can share the story with so many of you means a lot. 
And, you know, I'm not going to lie. Those of you who listen to the show on a regular basis know I suffer mental health issues, depression, and anxiety. And this week has been incredibly awful in terms of just... It has been not been a good week for me mentally. Just in general, I haven't, you know, self-esteem is low and a bunch of different things. And the fact that you all tune in to the podcast every Monday and again every Thursday to hear something I wrote, you guys keep me going, seriously. And I can't express my thanks loud enough to all of y'all. I appreciate each and one of you. I you know I say it every week, I, but I appreciate each and every one of you more than you know. And that's especially true on weeks like this. So please keep the feedback coming. And please, if you are enjoying the story, consider sharing it with your family and friends on your social media feeds in order to get it in front of as many ears as possible or as many eyes, because the text of each chapter you hear is made available on our website each week as well. So if reading is more of your thing, or more of their thing, they can read our weekly installments at www.tisapodcast.com. And if you enjoy Tissa Podcast proper, if you want to comment on a movie or television show we discuss, give us feedback on a specific episode, comment on this book, or just interact with us and other listeners of the show in general, Check out our social media feeds. All you have to do to get to each one is go to www.tisthepodcast.com slash Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, or Facebook group. Our Facebook group is by far the most active of our social media pages. It's always busy year-round, not just with Christmas chatter, although that's obviously our primary focus, but there's plenty of talk about pop culture, movies, TV shows, memes, and other holidays as well especially those other burn month holidays like Halloween and Thanksgiving that lead up to Christmas itself. It's also become a one-stop shop for many of the Christmas podcasts that you know and love on the Christmas Podcast Network. So not only will you find new episodes of his podcast there and get to interact with Julia, Tom, and myself there, but you'll find new episodes of Totally Rad Christmas, Christmas Clatter, TGI Podcast, Cozy Christmas Podcast, Advent Calendar House Podcasts, all of your favorites, post it there as well, and find all the hosts of said shows you know and love on the website too, always willing to interact with anyone and everyone about anything. It's truly a mini Christmas family that's formed within that Facebook group, and it's probably the thing that we're most proud of in regards to what's sprouted from this show. I know all of you keep me going, like I said a little while ago. And speaking of the show, if you want more bonus episodes, Christmas cards, enamel pins, ringtones, check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash podcast or www.tisapodcast.com slash Patreon. For as little as a dollar per month, you can get full-length bonus episodes of the show. We have a lot of content up there. Just yesterday, if you're listening to this the day we drop, we released an episode in which myself... Todd Killing of Christmas Clatter Podcast and Claude Belanger discussed the 2021 Hallmark Keepsake Dream Book, which was a lot of fun. And if you're listening to this on the day we drop it, tomorrow, Friday the 16th, my sister's birthday. Happy birthday, Annalisa, if you're listening. But Friday the 16th, an episode in which 
I discuss Godzilla vs. Kong with Ron Hogan, a.k.a. President Hot Dog, and Jay Skipworth of Filmstrip Podcast will be going live, and that was a lot of fun. But we have tons of fun stuff coming up. On the schedule, I have a Space Jam retrospective coming up with Matt Urich, a.k.a. Gary Blauman, of TGI Podcast coming up before the new movie drops. And then we'll probably get together again to discuss Space Jam A New Legacy with Ron Hogan, Jay Skipworth, and their friend Lindsay. We will hopefully be discussing the Conjuring franchise over the next few weeks in anticipation of The Conjuring 3, The Devil Made Me Do It, which is hitting theaters and HBO Max in June. If you're a fan of trashy reality TV like me, Charlene Lewis, who you've heard on the show before, will be joining me to discuss Season 3 of Temptation Island when that ends. And I can promise you, come October, last year we had an episode drop per week covering a different Halloween scary-type movie. This year, I have so much scheduled already that we'll we'll be recording very soon. You'll be getting probably closer to two or three episodes per week in which I discuss a different scary movie with various listeners and other podcast hosts. In addition, we'll get our usual bonus holiday episodes like Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and eventually Julia, Tom, and I will find time to cover Batman The Long Halloween, and we will be getting together again with Tim Babb, Mike Westfall, Jerry Davila, and Todd Killian to debate Zack Snyder's Justice League. So we have lots of fun stuff coming up. We have Hanukkah episodes coming up later this year. Now's the time to join Patreon, so if you've been on the fence about joining, I promise you we have lots of content coming up. Not to mention live watches we want to do and fireside chats we want to do. And new swag we have releasing, which I think and hope Tom's still working on. I know he was hoping to have it ready and unveiled at the beginning of the summer and giving patrons early access to it. So hopefully that's still the case. You'd have to ask him. But there are other ways to help the podcast besides subscribing to Patreon and engaging with us on and sharing our social media pages. You can help the show in a free way by leaving us a review on iTunes. Every new review helps new listeners find us and helps us to spread the Christmas cheer 365 days per year. Coming up on our main show this upcoming Monday, March 19th, Sean Sorka of A Christmas Podcast Podcast will be joining us to discuss A Flintstone's Christmas Carol. And on Tuesday, Tom, Julie, and I will be recording our episode on Rankin Bass's Little Drummer Boy. Before that, however, next Thursday, April 22nd, you'll be hearing Chapter 12 of Another Christmas Story, which currently Scarlet of the Netflixmas podcast is slated to read. I have to check with her to make sure she's still down to record it in time. If not, I'll probably read it to you, but... Hopefully, it'll be Scarlet, and I think that'll be a fun chapter for y'all, because it will feature Joey and Mary reuniting in the present for the first time since their big Christmas Eve blowout in the prologue ten years earlier. So, once again, thank you for all of your love and support. We couldn't ask for better listeners in the world than all of you. You are truly the best, and we're so lucky to consider a lot of you legitimate friends. So, do your homework. Watch a Flintstone Christmas Carol, watch The Little Drummer Boy, and get excited because we have lots of fun, exciting stuff coming up. 
and everything I've mentioned isn't even the half of it or the most exciting of it. To reveal that, I'm going to kick it back to Claude. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Prime Minister of Canada, Nathan Dubois. I'm here to remind you that there is only 254 days until Christmas, and I want you to know now until then, stay safe, love each other, give a hug, maybe a kiss, not too many because of COVID there, but au revoir. <laughs> Thanks, Claude, or should I say thank you, Prime Minister Dubois? I will never get that French accent down as good as you did. So we are getting closer to Christmas with each passing day, which is really exciting. I can't believe we're as far into the year as we are already. We are just about one third of the way through, which is awesome. So I hope you all enjoyed this chapter and until tomorrow for patrons and until Monday for the rest of y'all. Bye, y'all. We three kings of Orient are bearing gifts we traverse afar field and fountain more a mountain following yonder star. Thank you.